This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome into April. It is the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. We've got numbers for tonight's net cutting time in Houston. UConn is seven and a half or eight point favorites tonight to beat San Diego State. First trip to the Final Four for San Diego State, and it's going to be my pleasure in a few minutes to welcome one of the faces of college basketball. March Madness time, you know him as Clark Kellogg, Special K, the Big Ten MVP in 1982 and 83. He's uh, He had thoughts before this thing started about scratching out the top seeds and his crystal ball was right on the money, first time in 12 years. There were no number ones in Final Four weekend in Houston, so I'm looking forward to catching up with Clark to get his thoughts on tonight's game and also how far the women's game has gone after yesterday's big game. Between, and I'm calling it a big game because that's where it was, positioned in the middle of the day, middle of the day on a Sunday for everybody to see a college basketball emerging hero in Caitlin Clark, and she's on the losing team. LSU wins its first title, and she's a household name, and people today are arguing about officials in a women's title game. I want Clark's thoughts on where that game has taken women's college basketball. I have a feeling you will be surprised by his answer. I first want to get to baseball the opening weekend of the season for both the White Sox and the Cubs. A real successful split for the White Sox if you can be happy to come home even at 2-2. Two and two, It's against a team like the Astros, the defending world champs, and the Cubs hit the road for Cincinnati. A 1-2 and two series, 1-2 um, and two over the Brewers against the Brewers at Wrigley Field. A few positives, a few negatives. But let's start with the White Sox. And I'm not going to be the one to dissuade any White Sox fans from having fun. God knows you're going to have a reason to be angry, probably today when the Giants are uh, are at the ballpark formerly known as U.S. Cellular Field. But we got to wait 40 to 50 games before you really get a feel for your baseball team. That said, you have to be really excited about the play early on of a couple of guys who were head scratchers coming into this season and nobody bigger than Yoan Moncada, the third baseman. Is he going to even be able to play 140 games? Is he going to hit? Is his defense and, and focus going to be more dialed in? Well, we're four games in and the dude looks on top of it right now. He was terrific again yesterday as the White Sox beat the Astros in the Sunday getaway. 
He had a homer and a couple of doubles on the season. Now, granted, they've played four games, so the numbers are a bit skewed. Most teams only have played three, but Moncada has eight hits, two of them homers. Those eight hits tied for the second most in baseball, and he turned in. Let me use nifty as an adjective. He had a nifty defensive play Sunday early. The White Sox are playing better defense. Luis Robert with the sliding catch in the deep left center field yesterday when he started from right center field, covering all kinds of territory. Nice to see a White Sox outfielder make a, make a terrific play without running into a wall or another outfielder. So good for him. Starting pitching in the series, solid. Dylan Cease on opening day, right back to where he was last year when he was a Cy Young finalist. He struck out 10, went six plus, and Mike Clevenger did a nice job yesterday. Did not allow a run in uh, in five innings. He had trouble finding the strike zone on occasion and walked three, but he also struck out eight yesterday. So uh, a real nice start for the back end of the bullpen was fine. Lopey. We now have a closer with a nickname, Ronaldo Lopez. Just looks the part, doesn't he? Kind of fun. And Yasmani Grandal, who couldn't hit his weight last year, has responded early on like he's going to contribute. It's only four. But, man, a very nice start. To go two and two against that team and to play with the focus with which it played, most importantly, not Sleepy Tony. Or Sleepy Gene Lamont, wake up Sleepy Gene, uh, way back in 1993 on the South Side 30 years ago. The Sleepy Gene Sackos who lost to the uh, Blue Jays in the uh, NLCS or ALCS. But uh, a real good start. Have fun this weekend or this week if you're going to any of the games against the Giants at the ballpark. And again, a reminder, if you if you are, it's cashless. You have to have electronic money to do anything on the south side that's the case with most most ballparks these days but i know that aggravates see that's when white Sox fans will be pissed when they don't have parking on their phones when they get to the ballpark today or tomorrow night whenever they resume the series cubs and reds mixed bag over the weekend at wrigley man i love those those rob deer robin yount uniforms craig council's brewers wore sunday Dansby Swanson had a nice weekend, a real nice start. The newcomer, shortstop, forming a nice collaboration up the middle. The 6-4-3 combo with Nico Horner flashed on opening day. And I don't expect Swanson to hold on to his 6-10 on base percentage very long, but the dude was on board all weekend against the Brewers. Cubs couldn't get much done offensively to help out and uh, mixed bag with the starting pitching. Marcus Stroman was terrific on opening day, going six innings against the Brewers. I'm not an I'm not a fan of the numeral zero on the back of a baseball player unless the last name begins with the letter O. And I know O is not a numeral. But when Al Oliver of the Pittsburgh Pirates traded his 16 for a zero. It looked cool because he was Al Oliver. Orlando Woolridge of the Bulls years ago was a number zero. Okay, Orlando. Oh, not a zero. But the big O. I like it. I like it a lot. 
But Strowman does not begin with an O. Nonetheless, Marcus Strowman looked very good on, <laughs> on Thursday when the Cubs opened the season. Cody Bellinger, not so hot out of the gate. He wasn't on base. Well, he might have drawn a walk, but I, I, I don't. Yeah, he, he didn't notch any base hits. He did not have a very good first series of the year. But again, it's very, very early. Cubs shelled Sunday to wrap it up. Nine to five is the final on to Cincinnati for the Cubs. One of the great moments of the calendar. One shining moment tonight in Houston. One last dance for Jim Nance in the town where he went to college at the University of Houston. Nobody more fun to talk college basketball with than Clark Kellogg, the former. You never say former if you're an Ohio State Buckeye. One of the faces <laughs> of March Madness is with me on the Danny Mac podcast. And and you warn people, if anybody listened to my podcast, Clark, after we did that thing at Rivers Casino, forget those number ones in the final four. You said this is going to be about coaching and don't be shocked if long shots wind up there and certainly that proved to be the case your crystal ball was accurate well the regular season set us up for this dan i mean you think about all the number one teams that kind of rotated into that spot in the different polls and the compression across the country in terms of no really great teams but a bunch of good teams capable of winning a couple of games in the tournament and that's what we saw i mean it's been a wild ride and again this tournament always delivers you just don't know exactly how and what it's going to deliver other than great stories, tremendous drama, surprises, and um, a worthy champion at the end of the three weeks. There will be a worthy champion standing. I didn't think I would wind up doing this today, but I, I think it's it's ignorant to not acknowledge where the women's game went yeah. during this tournament, especially yesterday. When you've got guys arguing the following day about officiating in the women's title game and you have an American hero on the losing team uh, in Caitlin Clark, yeah. I, I just can't help but wonder if this is if this is the late 70s, early 80s of men's basketball for the ladies. Great, great call, Danny. I mean, what a remarkable women's tournament. And I didn't get to watch nearly as much as I wanted to. I did catch the South Carolina-Iowa game the last three quarters on Friday night. And Caitlin Clark I've watched throughout the season because I'm a big Lady Buckeyes fan. And my alma mater on the women's side had a nice run, um, got to the Elite Eight, dropped that game to Virginia Tech, a really good team. But, man, Caitlin Clark to me has been the best player in college basketball, the most exciting um, player in college basketball. And it's not super close across the men's and women's game. I didn't get a chance to see any of yesterday's game. I did catch some of the headlines around the officiating. I had a couple of buddies texting me that were watching the game saying it was um, just hard to watch from an officiating standpoint. So I hope to go back and be able to watch it. But yeah, you know, it will be interesting to see if this is a little bit of a watershed, another watershed moment in the women's game. I mean, there've been multiple and um, the excitement, the quality of play, the number of great players and teams what Dawn Staley and South Carolina have done over the last couple of years uh, tends to uh, lead you to believe there's a shift in um, in the dominant team. So, yeah, uh, great stuff, great stuff. And to me, Danny, you think about it, obviously we love the competition. We love the excitement of it. We love the drama of it. But 
the experiences that these young men and women get to have through sports, and we're talking basketball particularly, um, can really set the stage for, for lifetime success because a lot of the lessons you learn, the principles you grab hold of, the values you continue to espouse, those things are, are lifelong and, and can be transformative. So I love the fact that the uh, games, both men's and women's, um, get to share this kind of spotlight and stage. And I know the impact it has on, on the young people and their families going forward. And that's always um, inspiring and, and exciting and, and gives us hope. The LSU-Iowa television audience was just crazy good. And, I, I you know, with NIL – how far wide-reaching do you think this is going to be for women's basketball nationally and within the Big Ten? NIL specifically, Danny? Yeah, yeah. As it as it pertains, you know, college football coaches can buy linebackers now if they need one. Yeah. Can 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 the women's game become something that is that attractive? Or will it be losing too many too many of the great players to the professional? League? No, you know, I think the NIL landscape is obviously somewhat disruptive and wide open now, but I do think there's some positive components. One, student athletes now are not penalized for earning scholarships. That should always have been the case. It took a while for us to get there. Um, Clearly, we've got different rules across different states, but in general, I think it can be good. It has to be, I think, anchored to education as opposed to just a transactional pay-for-play type of model that um, some have 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 attempted to make it be it's not intended for that I think there's great possibility for I think there's great opportunity for education to be at the center of it and for um, men and women to monetize and I think it will impact it'll it'll, it'll it's here it's here to stay um, now you need to manage it in in a constructive way and that's going to create that's going to require some creative leadership some progressive leadership um, some backbone across um, institutional leaders and the NCAA leadership to build something that um, keeps education central, but also allows um, the marketplace to work constructively for the sake of education and empowerment, not just um, transactions of, of, of money. That's part of it, but mm-hmm. that shouldn't be the foundational component because we know money is great, but it doesn't last forever if it's not handled um, well and properly. So, I'm hopeful that the education component can become a central part of what NIL um, is because that's what, to me, it's intended to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back to tonight's combatants. UConn takes a a 13-point lead into the locker room and holds serve to get there. San Diego State with the buzzer beater to knock off the nine-seed FAU, whose most distinguished alum, I learned, is Carrot Top uh, (laughs) over the weekend. (laughs) I, I think I, I'm I'm going to take the points just because I want to root for one of the three first-time Final Four combatants gotcha. in that San Diego State tonight. Can they hang within the eight of the mighty UConn Huskies? Man, I um, certainly they can. They've proven resilience. They're deep. They're physical. They're mature. They're not high-octane offensively, but they've been really, really good off the, on the defensive end and good enough offensively. I thought they would have needed 75 points in that game against Florida Atlantic. They got it done with 72 in a dramatic way. Um, So, you know, they can, but UConn, it would take UConn playing two or three notches below where they've played all tournament 
and San Diego State playing a notch or two above what they've done, in my mind. And that makes UConn mm-hmm. the prohibitive favorite, which they should be. Um, we're always hopeful in broadcasting and TV that it's competitive, Danny. You know that. <laughs> but I just can't see, unless San Diego State, again, has a game that we've not seen from them from an offensive standpoint. Because they're, I, I don't think they can win it without getting to 75. I just don't see them being able to stop UConn. And even if they do control pace, I think UConn still has enough to win a slowed down game if it happens to be that. If the officials are calling tonight's game tight, I, I, I'm going to assume UConn has the depth and San Diego State just can't afford to have its frontline players in foul trouble and spectating. Is that accurate? Well, I would not say so, Danny. I'll push back because San Diego State plays nine guys double-digit minutes, and they've done that all season long. Um, Jaden Ledee has been a huge force for them in the tournament, and he is a frontline player. He's not seven feet tall, but he is 6'8", six, 6'9", six, extremely physical and muscular gets them extra possessions, gets himself to the foul line. It's a hard matchup because he can make the 12 to 15-foot jump shot facing up. So, no, depth won't be a deciding factor. And I have to give the officials, certainly in the final four games that we saw Saturday, I thought the officiating was terrific. There was enough room and latitude for flow. Not many obvious calls were missed. I can't recall an obvious call being missed. I thought the way the officials handled both games was outstanding. Um, and that's always good to see. I think they do a great job 98% of the time and uh, want to give them kudos for how that was, those two semifinal games were called. And I'm confident the game will be called well tonight. And um, hopefully we'll have a competitive game. San Diego is – it's an 85 90% uh, tilt towards UConn in my estimation um, just because of – how they played and the um, depth, offensive firepower. Uh, no real weaknesses for this UConn team that I can um, discern. So many college basketball fans, Clark, and even casual fans know you from the NCAA tournament, whether it's on the set at CBS or courtside, but you paid your dues in this broadcasting game, the old Pacers days, doing games on television yeah. in Indianapolis shortly after your career. Throughout your career, you've worked with some tremendous professionals. What has the Jim Nance experience meant for your growth as a broadcaster, and what do you admire about Jim the most? The last time he'll say hello, friends, yeah. from an NCAA championship game tonight. Yeah, well, there's so much and so many different directions I could go with this. First of all, he's a terrific guy he's a he's a really wonderful man husband father colleague friend uh, ambassador guardian for the game has great love and passion for the game and what it represents and the people in the game Uh, there's no better voice in all of sports when you think about him in golf football basketball and he's had an unbelievable 32-year run of being the voice of the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. And he's called some iconic games and had some iconic calls. But he's always done it from a place of um, passion, um, care, um, humility. And um, the five years that I was out there with him and the rest of the team um, were some of the most fun and enjoyable of my life. It was a dream come true for me to have a chance to be part of a broadcasting team calling the Final Four. And that happened for me from 2009 till 2013 and headed back into the studio um, after that. 
Um, but his, uh, his recall, his sense of history and storytelling is, in my estimation, without peer. And he's got a great sense of humor, a quick wit, um, but he makes people feel good. And not only the viewers, because that was always his desire to bring the viewers into the tent, into the stadium, into the arena. And he did that uh, with class and, and real, uh, a real sense of um, the moment and never being the moment. Uh, a real good friend. I mean, he and I have become close over the years and that friendship is cherished and valued. But uh, I consider it a wonderful, special association for all of us. Uh, and I think about how he's always has uh, made everybody you know, you don't get, you know, the broadcasting business. There are so many tens and hundreds and even thousands of folks that are part of helping a broadcast come to life. Um, graphics and research, producers and directors, um, runners that do some of the grunt and groan work, everyone in the truck and all of the folks that are part of it. And he always has uplifted them. And to me, that's uh, pretty special when you make other folks feel good about being with you and around you and being a comrade and teammate with you. And that's, that's, um, that's highly respected, appreciated and cherished. Um, I love him as a friend, um, love him as a um, broadcaster, and we're still going to get a chance to, to hear his voice. It just won't be attached to the NCAA tournament going forward, but um, it'll never be forgotten because he's stamped um, 300 plus NCAA tournament games with his special um, class and grace and care and love. And uh, I'm glad to have been a partner with him and continue to be a friend. You've played POTUS, a game formerly known as Horse, yeah. with former President Obama at the White House. Have you played the par three at Jim Nance's house that is the replica at Pebble Beach? Yeah, I have. I've had the privilege of doing that. <laughs> yes, I have. And um, you almost feel like you're at Augusta because the music that you hear on CBS during the coverage is piped in in the backyard. That that hole is a replica, I think, of number 12. And uh, <laughs> it actually is set up for you to have a hole in one if you hit it in just the right spot. So a couple, I was with a group of guys when we were out there a few years back and um, I actually relished Jim commentating as they took their swings. Oh, oh nice. yeah, it was, nice. it was something to behold, Danny. These guys were, I mean, they were just, their jaws dropped. I mean, one to have Jim relish, uh, regale them with stories and then to commentate their shots as if it was the masters and, and Jim is in his element when he's doing it because he has such a such a such a sense of, of presence and moment and how he can make folks feel. So it was it was awesome. I didn't get a hole in one though. I actually hit a couple of good <laughs> shots but didn't get one to go in on the in, in a hole in one fashion. But it was a real treat and um, yeah I'm looking forward to getting on the links with Jim a little more. Hopefully he'll have a little more margin now that he's not locked into the hoops, right into the Augusta, right into football. You might have a little margin, but hopefully we'll squeeze in some time to, to swing the clubs together. 
Clark Kellogg has been doing the NCAA tournament on CBS for a long, long time. And uh, that was he, he was a part of the first Indiana Pacers locker room I covered when I was a sophomore at Ball State. He was a second year guy out of Ohio State. A lot of Big Ten flavor on those Indiana Pacers teams. Uh, Jerry Seasting, one of the point guards from Purdue. Jim Thomas of Indiana and the Ohio State trifecta of Kellogg. Herb Williams and Granville Waiters, the human victory cigar from his days with the Bulls. Uh, you wonder why they were a 25 or a 28 win team. Anyway, always great catching up with Clark Kellogg, a great ambassador for the city of Cleveland. His dad was a Cleveland copper for 40 years for Ohio State and uh, all of his friends and, and Ohio State alums, just huge supporters, as I saw at the beginning of March when I did that event with him at uh, Rivers Casino, just near the airport off of the Tri-State in Des Plaines. Thanking Sam Michael for executively producing the show today. Adam Delavid is Baby Capone at the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Have a great day. Enjoy Championship Monday. Go White Sox. Let's, let's get some run against those San Francisco Giants. I'm Dan McNeil, and I'm back Thursday. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.